Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 582 with Chef Evan Leroy. I would say that some restaurant owners are really connected to the money and not necessarily the service or on the ground kind of aspects of daily operations. And then some people are the other way around. You know, they're really in it. They're cooking everything and they're not necessarily connected to the money. So being connected to both and how they influence each other in order to do what we want to do, you know, we have to make the money work. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. I'm sure you've heard of Rebel, but have you heard of the Rebel Advantage? It is the payment processing solution that seamlessly integrates into your Rebel point of sale and platform to create a complete system tailored to your business needs. Rebel manages both your POS and your payments with integrated software, hardware, and credit card processing to save you time and money so you can focus on your business. Learn more at rebelsystems.com slash unstoppable. Everybody loves payday, am I right? But loving your payroll provider, that's a different story. It's a little weird. Still, small businesses across the country love running payroll with Gusto. Gusto automatically files and pays your taxes. It's super easy to use, and you can add benefits and HR support to help take care of your team and keep your business safe. It's loyal, it's modern, and who knows, you might even fall in love. To learn more, head over to gusto.com slash Unstoppable, And when you run your first payroll, you'll get your first three months free. Again, that's gusto.com slash unstoppable. Here is a statistic for you. 89% of all guests will research a restaurant online before dining out. So you've got to start thinking about how you can extend your in-house hospitality and attention to detail to the online world. Bento Box is a great place to start. They will develop a restaurant website that not only leaves lasting impressions with your guests, but also provides hospitality-focused tools that are proven to drive revenue online and guests into your restaurant. Sign up today at Get bento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website. Get on it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Evan Leroy. Chef, are you feeling unstoppable today? So unstoppable, bro. <laughs> yes, that's what we like to hear. So as an Austin native and a graduate of Texas Culinary Academy, Evan Leroy has garnered international acclaim as a top-tier barbecue chef cooking in New York City's Hill Country Barbecue Market in Austin's Freedman's Bar. He's traveled as far as Russia and Australia to train and teach his skills, and in 2017, he and business partner uh, Sawyer Lewis opened Leroy in Lewis and was quickly identified as one of the best barbecue joints in Austin. I cannot wait to dive into your story. And I'm, I'm really not even giving you justice in this introduction because you've won tons of accolades. I'm sure we'll, we'll dive into maybe some of uh, the things you've accomplished as we go on. But let's get that motivational, inspirational, ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Uh this one comes from our uh, recently deceased Anthony Bourdain. Uh, barbecue may not be the road to world peace, but it's a start. Okay, so how does that resonate with you? I think what it means to me is that you 
don't want to get bogged down in the kind of daily details of what we do, right? Um, you know, what we do as far as stoking a fire or slicing meat or serving people, you know, that's not necessarily going to change the world or do anything uh, different in anybody's life. But I think the magic comes when we put it down in front of people and people come together and, um, yeah. Beautiful, man. And I, I feel like i got to paint the picture for the listeners before we dive into today's, to, to your story, to, into the interview. But we're sitting outside. We got, we're surrounded by three or four food trucks. Uh, we got a waterfall behind us, the smell of barbecue over your shoulder. Uh, and it is a good day to be a podcast host in the restaurant <laughs> industry. I'm, I'm telling you that right now. This is just a beautiful scene. And, uh, man, I'm super excited for this conversation. So, uh, where did it all start for you? Let's go back to when you knew you were going to be committed to the hospitality and food and beverage industry. Yeah. Uh, well, it started for me when, uh, just when I was growing up, just watching like Food Network shows and cooking in the kitchen with my mom in the backyard with my dad and stuff. I didn't really start working in restaurants until I was in college at Florida State and my buddy uh, just told me that they had an opening at the restaurant he worked at. He was kind of, uh, you know, he liked his job, and he wanted some of his friends to work there. A bunch of our other roommates started working there, too, uh, and it just became, like, really fun. Okay. And was there one thing about this experience that kind of made you really fall in love with the industry? Like, one specific thing we can draw from that experience? Uh, I would say it's mainly just, like, that was the introduction to the restaurant industry, the kind of pace of it pace of a busy like saturday service uh just the you know just going through the motions learning all the lingo uh just that was the that was the introduction to the restaurant world and it was really exciting so it was during this time when you were doing your undergraduate in florida you were Mm -hmm. studying uh writing was it yeah and i mean what ultimately happened to make you pivot away from writing and into becoming a chef like where was that transition how did that happen that was probably when I lived in New York City. Uh, my uh, then girlfriend and now wife and I were into, ended up just going to a lot of different restaurants uh, when we lived there, eating out a lot. And I was eventually just like, you know, this uh, I can I can do better than this stuff. You know, like when you can you kind of realize that the stuff that you're putting out either at the restaurant you work at or at your own house is like better than the places that you're going out to eat. And were you looking to? somehow incorporate your writing skills with the restaurant like what what was like the the vision at that time for your future well i graduated with uh in an english degree i came back to austin to go to culinary school to um just kind of gain expertise in something right because i i knew i wanted to write but i didn't know what i wanted to write about i liked food so i wanted to go to culinary school learn about food continue to gain experience in restaurants uh, and then take that to New York with me. So what was the, the, the thing that made you switch from wanting to write about food to wanting to cook about food? Was it just the, the idea that you think you could do it better and you wanted to try to see if you could do it better? Yeah, I also just wanted to be a part of the conversation instead of, um, and then instead of just sitting on the sideline and having the conversation. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like food, you know, food writers are, you know, reporters. They're kind of, commenting on what's actually happening and not making a lot happen themselves. Okay. Interesting. Commenting on what's happening, but not influencing what's happening. So you want to be an influencer. You want to right. make, you want to, to, to start the conversation. Yeah. You don't want to capture the conversation. Yeah. That's certainly not a dig on, on writing or food <laughs> writers or journalists at all. Uh, they have an extremely important job 
Um, and, I think you you're know, right. It's, it's, they, yeah, it's, they do have an important job, but I think at the same time, there's a lot of fluff and BS out there. Would you say that? Yeah, and well, yeah, and it's just kind of depends on the person. Yeah. Uh, you know, whatever you want to pursue, whatever you want to. You know, when I was young, I thought that being a consumer of culture was extremely important. I had to see every movie, I had to listen to every album, I had to you know read every magazine. But I, I realized that being a producer of, of culture is much more important. Mm, being a producer of culture. Man, I love that saying. I feel like that's a little, what the best restaurateurs do. They, they, they create the food, but beyond that, they're producing a culture for their people. Maybe Absolutely. that's something we can dive into as this conversation progresses. But let's bring it back to your timeline. Um, you end up back in Austin in mm-hmm. your first like real role cooking uh, your first introduction to the cooking with smoke all that was at Hudson at the bend yes yeah Hudson's on the bend uh, it was opened in the 80s by Jeff Blank and there were a number of really talented chefs that came through there I worked there at the end of the 2000s right when I graduated from culinary school I moved to New York in early 2009 so uh I was working with Robert Rhodes. He was the head chef there, and Kelly Casey. She was the sous and pastry chef. Uh, they were both just amazingly talented, really calm. Uh, everybody, they had everybody's respect. Uh, they were just two of the best chefs I've ever worked with. So what was going on here, like, as far as the food and the influence, and how did they influence you? Well, the food is probably where I gain most of my influence still, just kind of having that defining of uh, a higher level of Texas cuisine. I, I'm, that resonates with me a lot. Uh, the smoke influence, wild game, uh, just kind of really paying attention to where they're sourcing everything. That's stuff that I took with me from there and have carried throughout my entire career. What about the people that you were working for? Uh, how did they transform who you are today? Well, uh they mostly they were both very very calm it was a it was a uh jarring experience going from hudson's on the bend to new york because it was a very familial experience the front and the back got along really well um you know it was it was just really uh symbiotic and then moving to a place like new york where i mean the city just like chews you up and spits you out like (laughs) his first (laughs) chance um but as as far as things I learned from Robert and Kelly, I would say um, just learning how to be a manager. You know, no nobody's ever going to teach you how to be a manager. You're never going to learn. There's there's never, never a training program to teach people how to manage other people. So that's something you have to develop on your own. Those skills of trying to get from people what you need while still treating them with respect um, and respecting what they want out of that day and out of their entire career. So they taught you that they can't teach you how to be a manager. (laughs) Uh, So how did you transform in that time? Who were you going in and how did they influence your, I mean, were you a manager at this restaurant? No, 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 not, not, not at all. I mean, and that might not be like a specific lesson or anything that I learned from there, but it's just something, it's just a mantra that has stuck with me throughout my entire career. Um, and it's specifically, you know, it resonates now because we are trying to teach people that right now. We're trying to teach people how to manage other people. We're trying to hold our managers accountable to hold other people accountable. Yeah. It sounds like, um, 
kind of like what I'm hearing from you, like you, you can teach somebody how to manage, but you can't teach somebody how to lead. Right. And it, that, that leadership level comes from a certain way of how you carry yourself, how you go through your emotions so other people mirror what you do. And you, that is either in you or it's not in you. Some people say. Yeah. Do you agree that you can be taught how to lead? Um, probably not. Okay. I think it's just something that is within Innate. you. Yeah. Yeah. If you, I, I mean, I think it's all about desire. If mm. you have the desire to achieve something higher, if you, <laughs> I, I didn't mean to like make a rhyme right there. Uh, if <laughs> <It> you, <laughs> if you want to reach for something else that's beyond you, uh, no, no, you can't really be taught that. I think the other thing that you mentioned during this time, that's, which is really important to go back on is, uh, the, the synergy between the front of house and back of house, which I think is a huge challenge for a lot of people in this industry, creating that synergy. What was it about them that uh, enabled uh, this restaurant to have that synergy between front of house and back house? Really paint that picture. I think part of it was the fact that they had been around for a long time. Their staff, their main core staff of front and back was there for, I mean, a decade or more. Um, They just worked together every day. You know, grinded it out over holidays, over weekends, and just got to know each other really well. So a level of like almost like family, of more than just a, a working relationship, but like a more personal, maybe more deep. I think so. Yeah. Um, what else was going on there between the front of house and back of house that enabled them to work so good together? Is there anything that really sticks out to you? Um, I mean, it comes from the top down. So the management there is of the. General Manager Sarah Plank and the um, you know chef and sous chef in the kitchen Robert and Kelly they this it's the same the the respect has to go both ways at the top as the as as it does to the people who are serving yes. and cooking I think that's the key element right there you have to be so mindful of how you interact with people uh, your partners because yeah. that that level of of respect and trust that you have with each other at the top is what's going to trickle down to, to, the, to the rest of the organization. So you really got to be mindful of the energy you're putting out, the, the things you're saying in front of other people, the way you're acting yeah. in front of other people is so important. And anything else that's worth uh, diving into during this time at Hudson on the Bend? Am I saying that right again? Hudson's Hudson's on the Bend. On the Bend, thank <laughs> you. Uh, that was worth kind of diving into before we move on to the next stage in your career. Um, I mean, we can just reminisce about how good the food was for Actually, I'm kind <laughs> of happy that you, you're bringing that up because one thing that you mentioned, I think, briefly was that they specialize in uh, game, smoked game. Yeah. How the hell did they get the ability to serve game food? Like, Is that something that's unique to Austin or to Texas? Or There's different uh, ranches that have like farmed like venison and elk and like you can procure like so rattlesnake not, uh, like, and like you, you can get all this stuff in so it's game food but it's not grown in nature it's grown right. in the, okay right. i was curious i mean that. it is grown in nature yeah. it's on somebody's Reserve. land lease you yeah know, and they they hunt them and they kill them and they take them but it's all like approved by yeah correct channels. there's only a few places in the world that uh, that lets you hunt game and serve it in restaurants i know newfoundland is one place yeah. that does it and i think there's some places in germany and maybe switzerland uh i'm not too sure exactly i should probably not say anything that i'm not sure sounds about sounds cool but it is so cool <laughs> and i think that's i mean what how how i don't know how we've gotten away from that um eating as as close to nature as possible and using restaurants to govern nature um something that i think we should explore um yeah i don't know do you have any thoughts on that 
Um, or is that way outside of your? No, no, not <laughs> not necessarily. I man, that would be so cool if it we could just so cool. if we could just go out and take a deer and serve it here. Um, yeah, but we can't. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's kind Let's, of a moot point. Yeah, we don't want. <laughs> I wish. We I mean, might as well not waste time on conversation. We can't do anything about. Well, that, we right? can go. To, we can talk a little bit about uh, uh, Jesse at Dewey. I mean, that's that's pretty much exactly what he does. But it's on a scale that not a lot of people can uh, afford. You know, because you got to book the hunt and you stay out there and you cook everything and you break everything down with him. Who's this? Jesse. Yeah. Uh, he's the chef at Daidui and um, Daidui Taqueria. There's so many restaurants in Austin, man. It's hard to keep track of everybody. Okay, well, we'll come back to it in, yeah. the, in the later part where we uh, talk about a, re- a recommended. Okay, yeah. <laughs> sounds good, man. Um, so what was the next stage in your, your career? Like, what was the next uh, evolutionary, evolutionary point for you? Um, when I moved to New York... I started working at this place called Hillstone, which is like a, which is, in my in my opinion, the best chain restaurant in the country. Okay. Uh, you, other people might know it as Houston's. Uh, they have other names of their restaurants, like in uh, different cities, like you know Dallas and Miami and LA, like just big big cities. Um, there's nothing that like particularly that they like specialize on the menu. Like every single thing is really really tasty, but just the operations of that place is really, really impressive. So what, what they ask from their management team is so, so much. What do they ask? Uh, pretty much just constant. I mean, they, they, they ask uh, you to work as if you're the owner, okay. you know, which is good preparation. Uh, I, I was never a manager there or anything, but I just saw, I had friends there that went through kind of that thing and saw the toll that it took on them. So a negative toll? In so, well, I th- I think it was kind of a boot camp, you know. Like I think the people that would that I would, uh, I think the guys I'm thinking of would say that it was really hard and it was uncompromising, um, but at the same time they learned a lot. Yeah. So what was it about this organization that enabled them to have that that high level of um, just I guess discipline or um, stand high level of standards? Like how do they build that into their culture? Um, through a couple different levels, uh, one of the most notable, I think was just, uh, how they had all like the recipes and stuff like on screens. It was really cool. Like everything was what just like this? had a picture. It was, uh, like early, it was like 2010 or so. So that's pretty, um, leading edge to go yeah, back. Yeah, that was amazing. Use. Are you talking about like a heads up display or like a, like, like yeah, digital just like a little screen. You can bring it up right here. Um, and it wasn't even the fact that it was on a screen like that, it, but that it, it had like photos of how everything should look like oh, next to the preparation saying. on so the sta- recipes. Okay, yeah. I was like, man, that's such a great idea. So why is that? Dude, that is a great idea. Yeah. So why is that such a great idea? Because uh, you can write a recipe, right? And you can have the most florid language, but still two people are going to, you know, kind of interpret s- it like, differently. Yeah, interpret it differently. So if you have a photo right there, if you have like a video right there of like, you know, critical points while making something. And I was making bread. So there's a lot of those. Um as far as like what it's supposed to look like when the gluten is developed, when you add this egg, you know, what it's supposed to look like when it's proofed, when you, how you put the sesame seeds on the buns. So like all these things that were like critical points at what it's supposed to look like. And it's just great having that visual that's right there. So was it a, a digital display? Yeah. Okay. And were there videos too, or videos and photos or just photos? No, no, it was just photos. So, I mean, it's something that's come up, I think, um, 
uh, Rudy Mick was the person that I'm thinking of. Uh, he on the show said, you, you got to paint the picture of perfection. And I think that's what the, the power of a photo does. Uh, it's an aiming point of what this done right looks like when you're putting it to the past, right? Mm-hmm. And it's such a simple thing we can do is take a photo of a, uh, of what the, the, the perfect picture of whatever it is you're doing looks like. Yeah. And it's such an easy thing we can do. Yeah. And it's such a great way to create a standard and to not drift from what uh, what is, what's expected, right? Yeah. That, that level of consistency. Any other big lessons from this restaurant group? Uh, they had a really tight chain, um, like front of house. I Once again, this is just observations of friends that I had there, but um, there was so much communication. There was so much teamwork in the front of house. There was a lot of oversight um, just of how every single table was going. Like The steps of service were very, very clear to every single server on the floor. Um, how did they make those steps of service very, very clear? I think just through having like really standardized um, training programs um, and then also just a high level of accountability for every single person. And it was the same as like the um, kitchen management people I was talking about who, you know, kind of got put through the ringer. It's the same thing in the front. So how do they keep that level of accountability high? What was the secret there? A high level of accountability from their bosses. Okay. Like kind of. Being at one of the like flagship restaurants, I got to see like a lot of the kind of higher people come through there. I got to see like one of the head chefs come through there, and you know like some of the higher management people. And you know this is all just being an observation from a bread baker. Yeah. Um, but it was I really got to got to see how they held people accountable. You know what's expected of people at this high level. So is it just that constant gentle pressure of you you fell below the standard we're going to bring you back up to that place that that level of accountability. Yeah. Is that would they would you see Const- this happening or Yeah, yeah, okay. absolutely. You so know, how, somebody how would somebody would correct somebody, somebody else? Somebody would just go through the kitchen and just be like, you know, I don't like the way that this looks or all these things need to be fronted or just you know when you get on a tear you know, just like sometimes I yeah. can do, I can just go in the kitchen and be like, this looks wrong. That looks wrong. That looks wrong. Clean this, organize that, do this. You're doing this. Like, but that was, that was almost constant. Yeah. You know, so everybody was like on their toes. Well, how do you stay constant at that level of high standard without losing your shit, without being that asshole that runs through the kitchen and getting pissed when things aren't exactly the way they're supposed to be? Cause if you get to that level where you are pissed and now you're like, you know throwing things and shouting like you're gonna lose respect so how do you keep that level of consistency without being the douche in the the kitchen (laughs) that's the eternal question i think you got to i i think ultimately you have to keep uh the respect of the people that you're working with in mind um Mm. and that maybe was not something that was completely demonstrated there um but you know, I hear you. I, I always say at every uh, place you work at, you learn a lot more of what not to do yeah. than what to do. So we're, I, I'm tempted to stay here because there's a lot of great stuff coming out of the conversation. But we're only in 2010. you got a lot of career ahead of yeah. you. And we only got so much time to, t- to chat. So uh, any other key lessons, mentors, uh, things that are worth bringing up before moving on to the next stage of your life? Um, not, not, not specifically. I worked with some really cool people there. But, um, I mean, I think the... Let's let's talk about Hill Country. <laughs> okay, Hill Country, bring us there. Yeah, I well, I started going there just when I lived in New York because I felt like I was home. Right, yeah. I would be on the streets of New York in one step, and then I would go into there, and there's like smoke, and there's uh, bluebell ice cream, and there's like Robert O'Keefe on the on the stereo, so you kind of feel like you're back at home. Mm. So I ate there a lot. Um, 
I was unhappy with my other job, so I started working there just as uh, like a cutter, uh, just cutting barbecue and talking to people, you know, trying to explain to New Yorkers like how much a pound of brisket was. Um, and then I started cooking there, um, and that was my first professional barbecue job. Nice. Any big lessons? I mean, not necessarily about the food. Obviously, I'm sure there were a ton of lessons about the food. But what about the people that were teaching you, the way that this business was run versus some of the other businesses? Uh, there are three people there that uh, affected me as far as management went. The owner, Mark Glosserman, uh, just had, had an amazing vision for uh, what Hill Country was supposed to be about bringing this kind of section of the Texas barbecue kind of vibe to the middle of Manhattan. Mm. Um, and it was a huge project and it was a huge risk and it's only been really, really lucrative for him. So what, what was it about how he delivered his vision to his people? Uh, any lessons about how to communicate that vision and how to really paint that picture of what we're stri- striving to do? I would say that, uh, you know, certainly working there, I saw him a lot. I saw Mark there a lot. I saw him, eating the food and tasting the food and interacting with every single person you know, he wasn't like on the floor managing or back in the pits, but he's there, you know, communicating with his people and seeing his vision executed mm. every day. So how do you get to that point where you you're there every day? Cause you want to be there every day, but you're working on the business, not necessarily in the business, but you're still technically under the roof of the business. You're in the business, but yeah. you're, you're working on it. How did you get to that point from the, from, it sounds like from the get-go, right? Because were you there early on? Uh, no, I, I was there um, just only for a couple of years, uh, maybe like five or six years after they opened. Okay. So they are. Had so they had, had been established. They've been established. They were, at the time that I was there, they were the best barbecue in New York. Okay. Um, and I hope that I only, like, you know, continued that and made that better. So perhaps during the first five years, he was the guy that was you know, stoking the coals and doing all the work. I don't know. I, I mean, out. I don't think Mark was ever, I mean, he, it was a, uh, business project from the very beginning okay. uh, for him. And he, I think that's the key right in. there is yeah. treating your small business like a big business from the yeah. very beginning yeah. and, um, and creating those systems from a very early point. So you can't remove yourself from the stuff that keeps you so busy. So you can constantly improve upon your business. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it was actually a, um, I might be mistaken here, but I think it was actually a uh, like a project in business school, like to write this business plan, um, and then it like he took it like to the bank and like opened. How old was he that. during the time when you were working for him? Was he pretty young? I think yeah. still in his like mid thirties, oh, wow. and he's still. I mean, <laughs> he's obviously still pretty young. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it, seems, it seems like uh, the the culture at. Um, this restaurant, uh, Hill, say it again for Hill, me. Hill Country. Hill Country uh, was much more nurturing. Maybe still high standards, but it seems like it might have been a little more warm. I don't know. I'm, Absolutely, I'm yeah. Okay. I mean, it was Texas hospitality. You know, they prefer to hire people from Texas because they just kind of like get it and they understand and they want to put their culture out there. So, what was different? Uh, about working here versus some of the other places? How did they really impact you? Aside from obviously learning a ton about barbecue. Well, it was the first job I ever had where I like was in charge of things. You know, okay. I was the I was the pit master at the time, so I had, I was in charge of uh, the people who were cooking in the pits. I was in charge of getting all the food out and, and the quality. Um, so that was a learning curve for me. So, what were the biggest lessons you learned during that time? How did you transform personally during this time? Uh, what I realized is that you really never know something until you can teach it. 
so what I had to do, what I so I taught somebody, and then I had that guy teach another person, and then I had that guy teach another. You know, so like having somebody teach something else, like then you can see, okay, this person knows what they're doing. Okay, um, so you le- you learned a lot about the ability to teach. Um, any key nuggets about uh, management uh, and, and leading uh, that you can share from a with us from this time, or is it maybe later on where you really evolved into a better manager and leader. I would say probably later. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> do we want to dive into anything else here, or do you want to talk about coming back to uh, Austin? Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's 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 go back to Austin. <laughs> All right, we're, we're back to Austin. So you come to Austin. Was it Freed Freedman's? Yeah, Freedman's. That was your first gig back here in uh, Texas. Uh, I kind of uh, I worked at Torchies for a little oh, bit. Oh, that's here. right. That's uh, right. I did see that. <laughs> um, just because I was working on opening, I wanted to open a food truck at the time. Well, that's um, actually, where was Torches? What what year is this now? You come back, 2012, was it? This was, was it? 2012. Yeah. So this was um, the Torches Trailer Park location right across the street. John Miller Meat Company had just opened up. Um, and right after I left Torches, it turned into La Barbecue. Torchies is a great establishment here in Austin. Um, yeah. Talk about systems, processes, procedures, culture. They're, they're doing it right. You yeah. must have learned something working for this this restaurant yeah i knew i needed a uh, management experience i wanted to work in one of the most successful food trucks in austin uh specifically because i wanted to open a food truck yeah and that's a huge lesson there too go work for the people that are doing exactly what it is you want to do yeah, yeah. so what were the what were the biggest takeaways for you um man stealing gray water is such a pain in the ass <laughs> that's 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 one of the biggest biggest takeaways of learning about food trucks working in food trucks it's just you know, it's the grossest, dirtiest, nastiest job, and nobody wants to do it. But when you find the person who does that, man, you got to hold on to them. Yeah, well, I think you're bringing up a good point. A lot of people, I, I think they start with food trucks because in their mind, they're like, oh, the overhead's a lot less. Um, but I, I don't think that people really take into consideration how much of a pain in the ass logistically operating a food truck is. It's so much more work. Like, I was just talking to Sawyer about this earlier, and one of and we'll get into this in the speed round later but one of the main tools we use is a communication tool called group me okay and it's because we have people at the commissary at the food truck sawyer is you know doing stuff out of her home office and so there's constantly people moving around we're not all under the same roof so we need to be in communication about everything yeah all the time mm. um i'm tempted so I want to like start getting into yeah. your story of like starting your own food truck and what that was like. Um, but is there anything else worth mentioning uh, working for Friedman's or uh, for Torchies? Any other nuggets you can drop on us? Pivotal points for you in your career? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, just real quickly with Friedman's, that was uh, I, I started working there. The kind of way I got that job was kind of cool. Uh, I was looking for food truck equipment on craigslist and i found this job opening and i interviewed for it um and then the owner asked me to cook some barbecue so i brought him over to my house and he took like three bites and he was like all right let's do this you're hired okay um what was the lesson there well i mean <laughs> not just not just that uh that was, that was just kind of like a story of how i got that job okay i got gotcha, you gotcha. um but also uh just i don't know moving through that the entire story of freedman's um the biggest lesson there is to treat your employees really, really well, to be open and honest with them, um, and to really, really have your eye on the funds. 
On the what? On the on the money. Okay, so yeah. keeping the so how did you? What did they teach you about keeping your eye on the money? What processes? What habits did you pick up specifically to keep your eye on the money? You know, I had never had any uh, experience controlling costs like that. Um, you know, using tools, just like really simple tools, just like inventory, and you know, just like knowing how much you're spending. Um, just really, really simple things like that. No, nobody ever, you know, like teaches you how to do those things. So, do they teach you how to do these things, like specifically, or did you not learn that until later? No, uh, I mean, I kind of had to learn, but it was like just m- me not being an organized person. Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't really get good at it until, uh, and until we opened up the food truck, and we, you know, we were forced to. Um, it was. We like work together to come up with uh, different tools we can use. Just like a, I mean, it's and I say like it's some elevated thing. It's just a spreadsheet where you just like plug in, you know, how much you're ordering. And it spits out how much it's going to cost, and you stick to a budget. Like like I just wish it could have been that easy before. <laughs> so is it that easy now? Yeah. Is that where you're, okay. It is. <laughs> so I kind of it sounds like we're we're kind of starting to transition into the now and how you built your business. Mm-hmm. And that's my cue to take a break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. It's the entrepreneurial myth, and I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's the idea that when you open your own restaurant, life is going to get easy because you get to do exactly what it is that you love, whether that's front of house or back of house. And then reality kicks in, right? You've got to do all this other stuff that comes with owning a business like taxes, HR, payroll, really boring stuff. That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, HR actually easy for small business. And if you want to add on 401k or health benefits, it's a breeze. Those old school clunky payroll providers just were not built for the modern small business. Not to mention, you've got to compete with the big guys. But how do you compete with the big guys when you don't have big guy bucks? Well, with Gusto. That's how. Get back to doing what it is you love and let Gusto handle the rest. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you'll get your first three months free when you run your first payroll. That's Gusto.com slash Unstoppable. Again, Gusto.com slash Unstoppable. So we're back and let's start transitioning into how you made Leroy and Lewis uh, a real thing. Uh, uh, your, your dream into to fruition, right? So. Mm-hmm. You mentioned, you already kind of alluded earlier in the conversation that when you came back to Austin, you went to work at Torchies because you knew you wanted to open a food truck, which I think is the best thing to do. Go work for people that are doing yeah. what you're doing yeah. and, and learn the business. Uh, when did you really start making actions to make your, your vision come to reality? Well, while I was working at Friedman's, I had met uh, Nathan and Sawyer, our business partners. Um, so... My friends from high school that I reconnected with here uh, were friends. I kind of got welcomed into their group of friends from college. They all went to UT, uh, and Nathan and Sawyer were part of that group. Okay. So they had moved to Colorado uh, right around the time that I moved to uh, New York, and then they moved to Houston when I moved back to Austin. So we kind of uh, interacted a few times throughout in like parties and met each other. Uh, and then we, you know, industry people kind of gravitate toward each other. Yep. Um, and so we just ended up talking about kind of different things that we wanted to do. Nathan brews beer. Sawyer's been, you know, in the, uh, you know, working in the front of house for a decade. 
I cook and my wife does uh, PR. So okay. we had an amazing team. Dude, that, that really right there that. Uh, is a key variable. I think too many people today try to do this by themselves. And it's the people that have the team, that have the partnerships, that have the lane so they yeah. can focus on doing one thing really well. Uh, did it happen? But it happened organically for you. Was there anything that you did to make the force this into fruition, or was it all just that organic that you, you guys were all there, kind of looking to do something together? At the well, same we time? all had our separate jobs, and we were we had these ideas of what we wanted to do. But uh, the ending for me at Friedman's kind of happened abruptly, and uh, that kind of forced our hand a little bit. We wanted to do. A brick and mortar right off the bat. And as you can see from the food truck behind me, we're still not quite there yet. <laughs> yeah, but you're doing great things with the, the food truck. What happened at Freeman's that made it end so abruptly? Are you, is that something you're able or willing to talk about? Um, I would say it was mostly just a clash of uh, personalities in management. Okay. Um, uh, was unfortunate. There's, you know, the food was never better than like just right before I left. You know, we had an ex- excellent team. Mm hmm. Uh, we were getting ready to make the top 50 list in Texas Monthly, and uh, I left in August, and I think it came out the following May. So what were the lessons you learned? So obviously there was some tension here at Freeman. Some things didn't work well. Knowing what you know now, going back, if you could uh, change the situation, if you could have done things differently to that would have resulted in a different outcome, is there anything that you, you, you draw from that or you drew from that? Um. I mean, working with people that you don't agree with or you don't uh, like even, um, you know, that's something that you're going to have to do mm-hmm. all, all, all the time. Uh, obviously, we don't have to do it here because I'm the owner. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that's something that everybody has to deal with. And, I mean, if you kind of have this uh, quality in leadership that's uncompromising and you see other people kind of not executing the vision that you think um you know that you're capable of then you can grow resentful yeah Um, do you think that's what happened with you did you grow a little resentful was the maybe there was a little bit on on both sides yeah um i don't think i hold that anymore um but it was it was a it was a rough cut when we when when i left right away so I feel awkward pressing, but I feel like I, uh, there might be um, something. What about you reflecting back at how, what you were doing? Could you have handled yourself better reflecting back at that time? I mean, of course, you, you like uh, reflect on any situation and think that you can handle yourself better. Hindsight is always twenty twenty. So what? looking back, what would you have done differently? Um, I don't know. I probably would have just planned planned an exit you know kind of stuck with it stuck to the um maybe at least until the list came out but i don't know it was just at it was at uh it was kind of at a head where where nothing was really going to get accomplished anymore gotcha. so you kind of find yourself in a situation where you don't have a job now you you got to make something happen right yeah so is that kind of the the catalyst of the the food truck the food truck coming together yeah so how much time from when you left uh friedman's to opening the food truck elapsed uh, I left in August of 2016. Um, I kept myself busy teaching barbecue classes, building a barbecue pit, working at Salt and Time, um, and then I, uh, doing a couple pop-ups. 
and we opened the truck in March of 2017. So just, I mean, like a half a year, maybe a couple months. So did you, when you left Freedman's, did you go to all these other people that you mentioned earlier and you say, hey, let's do this? Did you start pulling them together? Uh, no, I didn't really do the Jerry Maguire who's coming with me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was, uh, what what I did was kind of talk to Ben Runkle and was like, hey, I'm going to leave here. Um, I would kind of be cool if i had a place to land and then ben was like oh man that's cool we can do some barbecue stuff too and we need somebody in the you know doing charcuterie it was a good opportunity uh when it came to that um and i had also you know had taught some people at that time i had traveled to russia and had already taught people how to cook barbecue and so i threw up a website and did a couple classes uh, and i was getting the barbecue pit ready to go for the restaurant or for the food truck so there was definitely things to keep me busy. The main goal was to stay relevant um, and to stay busy and to bring some money in. So I think that that's a huge thing right there, staying relevant, keeping the name, developing maybe a list. Were you doing things like that? Were you spreading the word about the vision uh, with the pop-ups? Is, was that kind of the intention? Like, What were you thinking about? To, what were you doing to prepare yourself to launch the food truck? How were you setting yourself up for success? Yeah, just kind of doing... Um, doing all those things like when when i was a salt in time we did uh, a series of little pop-ups and they were all kind of different themed and uh like we did one with it was all lamb barbecue we did one that was all seafood barbecue uh so just kind of at freeman's what we started to do what we you know we were just in the very infantile stages of it but just kind of what we do here is new school barbecue what is new school barbecue it's uh classic techniques but uh different flavors different cuts kind of making old what's new again whole animal butchery um working with local farms and ranches so basically taking the uh, modern ideals of farm-to-table restaurant and marrying it with classic uh, barbecue techniques. Okay. So when you were doing these pop-ups, were you using the Leroy and Lewis brand, or were you not No, it was just yet? like Evan Leroy Barbecue. Uh, you know, we hadn't we hadn't come up with a name yet. We hadn't come up, you know, you know we hadn't met our uh, partners yet, um, so we didn't have, like, the logo or the branding or anything yet. So were there three or four original partners? There are four of us, my wife and I, and Sawyer and Nathan. Okay. So... Uh, how did you guys come together? Did you have the money to put away? Did you need to find the money? And if so, how did you find the money? Get into that. We uh, just structured a pretty easy, uh, like, double your money and out loan, which is not... Uh, <laughs> pretty easy what? Well, we, we, we structured a pretty easy, like, to understand, like, double your money and out loan uh, okay. from a couple people that we knew. Um, just like friends of ours. Double who, your money and out loan. Yeah. What is that? It's just like if you give us $5,000, then you'll get $10,000 okay. and you don't have any ownership in the business. You know, you, there's, it was just a loan okay. from a couple friends. Um, and that was pretty much it. We bought the truck with it. Uh, we painted it and we hired some staff and we started going. So what was the, the amount that you identified that you would need to get started? I think we started with $50,000. And that's the amount that you said, this is what we'll need to raise to get started? Yeah. And that just covered, what was what was that covering mostly, just the truck? Mostly just buying the truck and, uh, you know, just like setting up some pretty simple stuff. Any advice for people that want to start a food truck uh, in the early days, things to th- consider, things to, that you might have overlooked, things you wish you had known before you started? Oh man, so many things. Uh, we started talking about the gray water before. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, you, you got to know what you're getting into. The, our main challenge is weather. So if you are in a place that has a lot of food traffic, foot traffic like this, like Cosmic, then you're going to do really well when the sun is out. Um, you know, if you're in a place that doesn't have a lot of food traffic, 
you're going to do okay when the sun is out, but when it's rainy, absolutely nobody's going to come. Are you saying food traffic or foot traffic? I don't, <laughs> did, did I say food traffic? I don't know. I, I, I think foot traffic. Foot traffic. Okay. Um, um, so, what was it? You said you, you mentioned earlier before we hit record that you were really lucky to have this spot. Yeah. What is it about this spot? I mean, you said you were here before Cosmic. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we should paint the picture as to what exactly this area is, what Cosmic is, and how that influences your business. Yeah. Uh, well, we got this spot because one of the owners here actually worked with me at Hill Country in New York. He was he booked music there. His name is Paulo Vasey. He used to have a club here in Austin called Momos. And uh, he was like, hey, we're opening this coffee shop and bar. It's going to be awesome. And we need like an anchor food truck. And they said they were going to open in March of 2017. And we were ready for March of 2017. And they didn't open until like January of the following year. Um, So we were here. And when when I was talking about, um, you know, having a good location, uh, we know that from experience. Because we've been here when it's not a good location, when we're just us and a lot. We've been here. So you came to this lot, and this was your parking spot yeah. before uh, a year before uh, Cosmic opened. Correct. You weren't just driving around the streets going to find a good spot. So you stayed anchored the entire time. We stayed anchored here, unless we went to we went to a couple breweries, uh, just like for night services uh, every now and then. But we were we were here for lunch the first year. So what are the benefits of staying anchored, staying to one spot versus going to where the crowds are? Uh, you have uh, just a dedicated spot you know like with a food truck i mean you're supposed to stay really mobile according to the uh health department but you know just having like all your you know your smoker in the right place and just like have, having all your stuff kind of in, in, the, in the right place yeah. yeah is is just really really helpful and also you know just not having to travel all the time like it's hard to move the truck and that's a that's a that's a thing i think a lot of people don't consider yeah. uh, you can't do everything in the truck right. uh, you, you're probably gonna have to rent space at a commissary so these are all the extra things that people just don't consider yeah uh so i kind of lost my train i thought there i'm not gonna lie so i guess um the, the point is really be caught like aware of what you're getting yourself into with the food truck it, yeah yes it's less overhead but it, it's not the answer to everybody's uh, problems, right? Right, right So right. any other things that are worth um, – I'm not saying don't start a food truck. I'm just saying be re- it's it's going to be a lot harder than you think it is. That's yeah. something I've I've heard a bunch of times from people who started with food trucks. They're like, I can't wait to get to my brick to, and mortar so it will be easier, right? Because everything will be in one spot. Logistically, it's just way easier. It is much, much easier in a brick and mortar. I, you know, I really didn't want to have to go into a food truck after being in a brick and mortar at Freedman's, um, but – you know we're making it work. Yeah. We, we love the place we that they were at right now. Cosmic is an amazing neighbor. Um, you know they have really really good programming. The setting here is just amazing, and they have really good food truck neighbors too. Mm-hmm. So you, we kind of uh, mentioned it earlier. We started talking about the power of having partners. What lanes are you all in? You're obviously big thing is the, the cooking the the, yeah. sh- the chef mm-hmm. um what about your other partners what, what do they bring to the table uh so sawyer basically keeps the wheels on the bus she does everything you know she pays the bills she manages the staff she does everything except cooking from a day-to-day basis she literally runs a place she's amazing i've never seen anybody in any role work harder than her she's so wh- incredible she could be the president where is her when did you guys cross paths originally? I can't remember. Uh, we just had a similar group of friends. My friends from high school, her friends from that's college. Right, that's right. Yeah. So um, she kind of wears all the hats. She's the, almost like the manager, right? The, the person that kind of yeah. – she's the glue. She's the general manager. She's the you know managing partner. She's the – yeah, HBIC. 
So what was it about her originally when you first started talking about this that made her somebody that you wanted to go to business with? How did she complete you? Man, you don't meet a lot of people who are super passionate about hospitality, mm. right? Super, super passionate about um, serving people. Because to a lot of people, that job is not a career. It's not a job uh, or it's not a dignified job to a lot of people. But she takes a lot of lot of pride in it. Uh, and it's really, really impressive to see that. What is the biggest lesson she's taught you about business? Uh, she just has so much patience, man. Just, you know, when people uh, we one of the biggest challenges we have is people come expecting a traditional barbecue places, even though it says in big letters, new school barbecue on there. Nobody really knows what that is. And we often have to explain like every single item on our menu to a lot of people. And she very, very patiently does it. Whereas, you know, some of the cooks that we have, you know, cutting can just, you know, we have to remind them constantly that half of their job is interacting with customers. Mm. So I think that's another maybe variable, um, the delivering the brand, right? Uh, that, that service, you're delivering the brand, you're really ex- educating and teaching people about what makes you different. And you're not just another barbecue joint, you're a unique uh, niche right. down barbecue. Why is it so important to do something that's unique not just what traditional texas barbecue like you know you, you're just another traditional texas barbecue joint like why did you choose to focus in, into your own niche and kind of carve a new path well specifically because we're in austin like what's the point of opening up a new brisket and rib and sausage joint in austin when you have franklin and la barbecue and Wade and terry blacks right down the street yeah like you have half of the top 10 like right here so you um, knew right away that you weren't going to try to go head to head with those guys doing exactly what they're doing no, there's no point. Also, it's not uh, financially viable. Like you can't buy racks and racks and racks and racks of pork ribs from a legit farm. Like you have to, if you're going to pay a price where you can sell it at, you have to buy it by the whole animal, which we do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the just the importance of having that unique selling proposition so you differentiate yourself from the other people doing similar things um what is your biggest unique selling proposition is it the fact that you're doing whole animal and that you're really stretching that that dollar um you know not unfortunately not as many people like care about that you know a a lot of people are more much more converted by the taste than the mission um but the mission is what keeps us going Mm -hmm. so what is the mission uh just like just new school barbecue old school service right Mm. so um changing or you know carrying this uh mantle of traditional barbecue into a new generation um you know and like being really nice to people when we do it um but uh sorry i lost my train of thought there (laughs) i think we're just talking about the the mission uh what, what the mission was and uh Talking about unique selling propositions, the uh, the importance of whole right, food, right. Uh, trying to stay close to uh, sus- being as sustainable, yeah. st- sustainably possible. Wow, I'm struggling to talk today. To be as sustainable as possible, yeah. um, things of that nature. I mean, we're at 47 minutes of recording time right now. Mm-hmm. This is usually where I let my guests kind of free flow. Like, yeah. is there anything that you are hoping we would discuss today? Any key areas of expertise? Any well, lessons you want to drop on us before moving to the speed round? Real quick thought on what we were just talking about is that we convert most people just based on taste, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're going to come up and look at our menu and be like, where's the brisket? And we'll be like, well, try this sliced beef cheek and they'll come and these other two weird sides and they'll come back and be like, whoa, that was really, really good. <laughs> um, so that's how we convert most people. It's by making them try you it. Know, is bring them into our uh, you know little corner of the world and you know let them try something weird uh and they're usually wild by it awesome so 
what is there anything that you want to talk about? Anything that we haven't discussed to this point? Anything that's near and dear to your heart that you want to use this time to kind of make the industry better about, with? Um, not. I mean, I don't know. One of the biggest uh, lessons that I've learned, or things that you know, I take with me every day is uh, is is the teamwork aspect. You know, we've talked a little bit about how we have a really good management team, but it's a lot more than that. You know, we had a really amazing kitchen team at Friedman's. We have a really amazing team here as far as, uh, you know, everybody who's cooking and doing everything at the truck, um, just really cultivating a group of people to kind of work toward a goal, I think is really, really important. So what advice do you have to bring those people together? Uh, what, what have you done right that has made your team so strong? I think, uh, being able and willing to jump in and lend a hand at any point, um, but also kind of giving them the, uh, freedom to do what they, not do what they want to do, but do what makes them happy. I think that's a huge key. So I actually just had Horst, uh, on the show. He's the, uh, co-founder of the Ritz Carlton. And that's what we got into talking about the, the balance, right? Uh, you need the processes to keep things in order to, to, right. to meet guest expectations, but you, you really thrive and you exceed guest expectations by giving your people that freedom to be yeah. creative, to yeah. do whatever they have to do in whatever given moment to really blow the socks off the people you're serving. Yeah. So how do you, how do you navigate that fine line between, uh, having the systems that you need to stay organized and to get the job done, but also where you're not limiting your people from really taking it to the next level. Um, I mean, I find myself playing like good cop, bad cop a lot, you know, it's like being really encouraging, uh, you know, face to face, but, uh, then maybe the next morning I'll get in and some things are messed up and I'll, you know, send like a frustrated e- email or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but with love. Yeah, with with, <laughs> with love. It always ends with X's and O's. Uh, <laughs> or a heart emoji. Uh, I don't know. I think the constant reminder of why we do what we do is really important. You know, like, you can't miss this thing to clean because then you are putting it on somebody else's job, right? And that's not uh, ad- adhering to our ideal of teamwork. Um, and then that's just bringing everybody down. Um, you know, or if you just serve something that's not beautiful or not delicious, then that's not, uh, that's, that's, that's just not our vibe. Man. So do you have these core values? Have you committed them to writing anywhere or do people just know through witnessing how you treat others, how to be? That's one of the things we're trying to do right now, um, is kind of have these basic core values that I'm really trying to remind everybody about on a constant basis, um, and those are just accountability, communication, teamwork, urgency. I have one more. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> no, the cool, Department man. of Energy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm really loving this conversation. I think you've given us a lot. Um, I am curious, when you are recruiting people, because you, you're putting a lot of emphasis on the, the quality of people that you've attracted onto yourself, what is it about you and what you're doing that has enabled you to get these people on your team? Uh, I think the fact that we're doing some really interesting stuff um, is is the most attractive thing. So you're not only attracting new clients and new guests by doing interesting stuff, but people want to go to work yeah. for somebody who's doing something that's out of the, the norm, that's, create, that's right. un- unique. How much do you let your people contribute to the creative process of what you do? Um, as much as they're kind of comfortable with, uh, you know, if they'll 
suggest something or throw something out that's like way off base, I'm going to tell them. It's like, no, no, we're not going to do that, buddy. But, uh, you know, if they have an idea or have a kernel of an idea, then we'll kind of riff off of each other and then we'll make something and then maybe it turns out, maybe it doesn't, maybe we improve it. Nice. So Sawyer was for a while hounding me about making a dessert because we did these brisket chocolate chip cookies that like me and Chris kind of came up together with at Friedman's. And so I didn't want to like carry them here and I wanted to do something different because we don't always have brisket. And so there was a lot of, she was like putting pressure on me for a while to come, come up with a dessert. And then I was just like kind of thinking about it, thinking about it. Um, and we started doing this cheddar cheesecake, um, which makes, which kind of like the way that I count that I'll come up with, um, like interesting or creative ideas is just kind of like putting those words together um, that kind of belong but also don't belong. Um, so then you produce something that's familiar but is completely new at the same time. I feel like cheddar is probably one of those cheeses that go really well with barbecue too just because of the oh, savory, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, interesting. And it's got like a Ritz crust. It's like sh- sharp, sharp cheddar in the actual cheesecake and it's got like apple slices mm. on top. Um, it's kind of like that apple Dude, and sold. cheese and uh, <laughs> like cracker snack. It's Sounds good. amazing. So <coughs> what's on the horizon for you and your team? Obviously, you're looking for the brick and mortar. Would you do that here? Would it be at a different location? Uh, we're not going to do our brick and mortar here at Cosmic, but we will. Uh, we're close to signing a lease on one. I can't really say where it's going to be or very much about it, but we're close. Hopefully, uh, hopefully in like a couple of years we'll be. Really brewing beer and really, nice. uh, you know, bringing in whole animals. It's going to be cool. Beautiful, yeah. man. Uh, this is your last chance to get anything out that you wanted to talk about during our time together before you, we take one more break to thank the sponsors and bust out a speed round. Um, I don't know, man. That's You're crushing it, dude. <laughs> we've, we've, we've gotten plenty out today. So we're going to take our quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. So this probably does not come as a surprise to you, but as you can imagine, I look at a lot of restaurant websites because I'm constantly researching my next guest, successful restaurateurs, and you'd be surprised how many of those people have bento box websites. I mean, I almost know instantly when looking at these websites because they're always so stunning and they always check every box, everything that a good restaurant website should have. These websites have them, and it's because they're going to Bento Box to get the work done. And not only will Bento Box leave a lasting impression with your guests, but Bento Box websites come with hospitality-focused tools that are proven to drive revenue online. With Bento Box, you can easily update menus, promote events, share press, sell gift cards, take catering orders, and book private events directly from your website. Bento Box puts you in control so you can focus on what matters most, your restaurant. Bring your restaurant's hospitality online with bento box by signing up today at getbento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website. So Revel Systems is a complete POS built to help grow your expanding business. I stand by Revel, and I can tell you why it's so great, but I'd rather get my man Colton Schultz, who's with Grain Junction Subs in the Craft Cave, to tell you why he loves Revel. We have been working with Revel for several years, who has partnered with us to streamline our operations. We have implemented delivery management, employee management, sales reporting, kitchen display screens, and so much more. We also utilize mobile order takers and kitchen display systems that are extremely customizable. Nice. So if there's just one thing that you love the most about Revel Systems, what would it be? It's definitely their vast reporting abilities on the back end. We utilize a lot of the reports such as speed of service, taxes, sales reports, labor reports. It's all there. 
to help you run your business. Beautiful. Guys, and if you're listening to this, Revel works with businesses that are looking to implement cutting-edge technology that helps increase revenue, improve efficiencies, and enhance experience of their employees and their customers. To learn more, head over to revelsystems.com slash unstoppable. We're back, and the first question I have for you is, what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Being able to see the big picture in all the small details. What is your biggest weakness? Organization. How are you dealing with that weakness? Little by little, every day. <laughs> and business partners, right? Because I feel like uh, Soria might be the person that kind of balances. Is she more organized? Much, 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 <laughs> much, 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 much more organized than me. <laughs> yeah. My wife's more organized than me. Everything. I think everybody else is more organized than me. I see it as like a huge feat to put together like something like a really small like to do list. Like. <laughs> It's really pathetic. What is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? Uh, I kind of ask myself if I can see this person doing the dirtiest job that we have. Like, can I see you like really like just scrubbing it out on like just scooping the nastiness out of the drain? Do you tell them what they're going to do? Do you look at their reaction? How do you figure that out? Uh, Well, I mean, I'll tell I'll tell them to clean something and see how good of a job they do at it. You know, if they really detail it and get in there and like, Hey, if, if their question is like, how deep do you want me to go? You know, then it's like, okay, all right. <laughs> Got you. Uh, what is your biggest challenge today? Biggest challenge here is the weather every single day. I mean, we can look at it like week to week. Um, but really not being able to control the conditions that you're serving in is, I mean, not, I was going to ask, nice. how do you combat that? But there's really not much you can do. Well, we do that by uh, look looking at the weather, making sure that we have uh, the right amount of food for that day. We never try to sell out completely. Um, but what we'll do is, like, you know, maybe we'll have two pounds of sausage or something for, like, a rainy-looking day. Yeah. Um, and we also try to stretch everything out. You know, we'll cook a big case of uh, beef cheeks and we'll be like, all right, these are the ones for Wednesday. These ones for Thursday. These ones for Friday. Um, so just like parring out the food, like really, really getting down to how much we need per day. Um, and keeping it out of the weather. Got you. And share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. Uh, the biggest thing that we stress to all of our people is communication. We were talking earlier about how we have to like manage different locations. Like we're a multiple location, like, <laughs> group with only one location of service you know we have the commissary we have the food truck we have people doing work at at her home office and we have we're doing a ton of um catering's and events all the time too so there's often members of our team spread out how many members do you even have on your team uh we've got about 10 people including like the like four original yeah got you um what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team. So this is something that's standard within your four walls or on your wheels. That's not, or not standard within the industry. Um, I was just saying like, like I kind of said earlier, having to describe every single thing to everybody on the menu. Cause it's a barbecue place. Normally people are just like, Oh, you know, come in, give me a plate with, uh, yeah. you know, two meats and why we have that. And we try to make it as clear on the menu as possible. People are still kind of thrown for a loop and we don't have brisket every day. So just is the solution, like you mentioned earlier, just the patience and knowing that you have that, that uniqueness to you that where you really have to walk people through the, the experience. Yeah. I mean, just really going above and beyond for the service. We really just try to, I mean, it's, it's also hard here because, you know, people will just like, 
walk by and take a look at the menu and like make a grimace face and shake their head and people will also <laughs> come and then they'll get tacos you know, which is fine and then they'll also come by and they'll be like real excited about it so I'm really excited about it's it it's hard to <laughs> it's hard to determine what kind of person is going to come up to the window right yeah um so you kind of we have, there's like a barrier to where they cross like maybe if it's like I don't know, like five feet out in front of the truck. If they go in front of that, then you kind of, hey, how's it going? You reel them in. Welcome them and yeah. try to come, you know, bring them in. Um, cool. Yeah. Uh, what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or uh, food truck or restaurant operator? The first one would be Setting the Table by Danny Meyer, which I think I've heard mentioned on this podcast before. Uh, but the other one is one I recently read. It's called Leadership in Turbulent Times by Doris Kearns Goodwin. It's about four presidents, uh, Lincoln, Roosevelt, Roosevelt, and Johnson, and how they didn't necessarily seek uh, to become president or ever want that kind of power, but they kind of found themselves in positions uh, where things needed to be done and there wasn't anybody else who could do it. Okay. So what was the the biggest lesson for you in that book? If you had to extract one lesson, how has that book made you better? Um. I would say I just saw a kind of parallel in in what we do here as far as, um, you know, nobody's cooking the type of food that we do, and that's what I wanted, right? Like, I wanted a place where I could go to that served food that was sourced honestly from people that they knew that were, like, raising the animals, I wanted a barbecue place that I could go to that was more creative than just serving like brisket and ribs and sausage. I wanted a barbecue place that I could go to where, you know, they were creating different cuts for a barbecue menu. Um, and so nobody else was doing that. So that's what we created. So kind of being forced into this, this position to, to, to do something different, to be cre- creative, to, uh, you didn't really ask for the role to, to be leading the, to be the leading edge. You wanted to, you wanted to change the industry. You wanted to change the barbecue sector. Yeah, I mean, you realize that nobody else is doing this stuff and... People should be doing yeah, this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. So what is one thing you think restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? Uh, I was talking to Sawyer about this earlier, but uh, I would say that some uh, restaurant owners are really connected to the money and not necessarily the uh, service or on-the-ground kind of aspects of daily operations. And then some people are the other way around. You know, yeah. they're really in it they're cooking everything and they're not necessarily connected to the money so being connected to both and how they influence each other like we in in order to do what we want to do you know we have to make the money work what's one thing you guys do to make sure that you are connected to both uh division of labor yeah and trust you know those two things go hand in hand you know um being able to, inf- like, if Sawyer being able to be completely open and honest to me about what the finances look like, me being able to be, you know, to explain everything to her about, you know, the staff and what they're dealing with and the food and what's going on with that. So have, having that constant communication and trust in the other person to handle their business. What is one technology you've adopted that has had a huge impact on uh, your operations, communication, efficiency, profitability, anything along those lines. You already mentioned the one uh, communication tool you're using. Yeah, we use GroupMe for communication, and just ev- all, all of our staff is on it, um, and that's how we leave notes at the end of the night. That's how we just, hey, this thing needs to be brought to the truck, or you know, these three people need to be at this place at this time for this catering. Uh, it's a really just a useful 
ongoing thread that anybody can add to at any time. We throw some memes up there every now and then. It's fun. <laughs> nice. Any other tools you're leveraging you want to share? Or is we're moving on to the next question. Well, let's just let's just right. knock it out. Got you. Uh, the next question and the last question. It's a doozy. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom, three things you know to be true that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three things be? Uh, the first one is work together. I think very little can be accomplished by yourself when compared to what you can accomplish as a team. Second one is I think it's better to be different than to be the best. And the third one is operate honestly. When it comes to dealing with your guests, when it comes to dealing with your employees, when it comes to dealing with the government, operate honestly. I love it. And I like I love that second one of uh, being different, not the best. But when you create something that is totally different, you are automatically number one because there's nobody yeah. else doing what you're doing. And yeah. you instantly shoot to the top, which yeah. is such a, a valuable. If you're going to do something, you might as well be the best at it, right? Yeah. So you might as well create something that no one else is doing. Yeah. Awesome stuff. I've loved this conversation. Uh, we wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. So who is one person you admire and believe would make a great guest mentor like you made for us today? Uh, I think I'd have to say some of the guys over at the Brewers table. They're doing really incredible work. Jake Maddox, Zach Hunter, Drew Durish. That's the owner, head chef, and uh, head brewer there. All right, look out, guys, at the Brewers table. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. And let the folks at home know, how can we connect? If we want to come check you out forever in Austin, or maybe we want to come join your team, maybe we want to hire you to teach us about barbecue, what's the best way to connect? Uh, you, I do most of my social media on Instagram, so you can uh, follow me at Evan Leroy Barbecue or follow the business at Leroy and Lewis. And I'm not sure what episode number this is, but stay tuned to the closing thoughts. I'll, I'll fill you guys in. Head over to the show notes, and you'll find all the links in the summary of today's discussion over there. Again, Evan Leroy, there is no question, my man. You are unstoppable. Cheers. Thanks. Well, there you go. Another one. In the bank here at Restaurant Unstoppable, Chef Leroy, again, thank you so much for coming on the show and for feeding me. You guys, uh, this boy knows how to barbecue. I'll tell you that much. I got a great spread while I was there, and they're doing some awesome stuff. And on that note, uh, the big takeaways, do something different. Don't be the best. I can't exactly remember how he said it, but don't try to be the best, but try to be different try to be unique try to separate yourself from the competition because when you are truly unique and you are doing something that nobody else is doing you automatically you instantaneously become number one at what it is you do and i think the other big takeaway from today's conversation is it's not enough to be really into what it is you do and focus solely on what it is that you do and not the numbers or to be totally consumed by the numbers and the bottom line in the business and then lose track of what it is that you do. You've got to be in both places. You've got to pay attention to both parts. And if that sounds like something that you have no interest in, or maybe you don't see yourself being able to get into the details of the numbers, your mind doesn't work like that. Then, you know, partnerships. And I think again, a lot of people, when they think of the word partnerships, they say, don't get into partnerships. Uh, but, Maybe those people just suck at partnerships, and that's kind of what I hope to do here at Restaurant Unstoppable is to teach you how to be with other people, how to react with other people, how to respect other people, how to communicate with other people, how to coexist, and how to live in a tribe, live in a community. Um, Who knows? Maybe I can't help you with that just through these stories, but 
great stuff today. And guys, like always, please do reach out to me, Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Tell me how I can best serve you. Tell me who you want to hear from. Keep those five-star reviews coming. Uh, join the email list. I, I kind of give you a glimpse into my mind, what I'm thinking, where I'm going, and how I want to make uh, the podcast better. And I kind of just, I don't know. It's a little bit of a freestyle I do once a week. So join that email list, uh, become a part of the community, become a part of the movement, stay connected, and help me spread the word about Restaurant Unstoppable. Let's make sure people know about this resource of people coming together to share their knowledge, to share their values, to share what they know to be true about their success. If we're going to change the industry, we need to make it about us, not me, not you, but we. All right. Until next time, peace out.